This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1176. Thanks to the room with our viewers, I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are. Welcome back, Megan. Thank you, Rob. Yes, it feels like I've been away for a while. You, well, you finally got out of that escape room that you were in. Well, exactly. They had me <laughs> held hostage for a couple of weeks, but I escaped. I'm back. Which one was that? So I went to the one in Brunswick, Deep Space, which I think's right up your alley. Mm-hmm. Um, sci-fi, won't say too much about it, but it's sort of a, a spaceship theme thing and mm-hmm. there's um, a companion computer and, yeah, we, had, we really loved it. I thought it was a great experience. And there's a couple of different outcomes and so... Um, it's worth noting not to tell people too much about what what oh. happens to you. Obviously, you wouldn't want to ruin one anyway, but there's a couple of different things that might happen depending on your actions. When, when they say escape room, is it actually just a room or is it a complex? Well, it's a room. Have okay. you ever done one? Um, no. Ah, no. I, know, you, I know zombie battles and stuff like that. But yeah, you know. you'd quite like them, I think. So they're generally puzzle-focused. Some of them are more narrative than others. There's yeah. quite a lot now. There's quite a lot in Melbourne that you can check out. Um, I won't name-drop too many, but there's pretty much, if you're interested in zombie stuff, biohazard stuff, old-timey Dracula stuff, literary stuff, any Sherlock Holmesy stuff, you'll be able to find an escape room that fits your needs. Some you know of what? them are better than others. You know what? Here on air, I'm commissioning you. <laughs> so do a piece on it because it yeah, sounds right. interesting. No, that's that's not a bad idea. So I've done a couple. So I'll tick yeah. off a few more different types and then I'll report back. Because like I said, there's lots of different genres and themes mm. and some of them are more puzzle focused and the one that I did was much more narrative focused. So I think would be right up Zero G's alley. Are they expensive to, to play? Uh, it depends. It's good to have a small group, yeah. um, maybe four people or so. Uh-huh. And generally they maybe cost you about $30 per person, something in that realm. But they usually last between 40 minutes and an hour. And I I would say that um, I, I've always felt I got my money worth, my okay. money's worth out of the experience. Okay. And if you're a bit scared, there's definitely ones that are more entry level and there's always people to guide you as to which one might be the best fit. So I'll um, check some out and I'll report back. I, I can just imagine me going into one of those and my first thing I'll say to everyone else would be you all think that um, I'm locked in here with you. <laughs> <laughs> But you're all locked in here with me. <laughs> and it's been a sad old month. Yes. Yes. We find ourselves making the, uh, following the uh, the transition of um, back into basic star stuff of outstanding Australian science fiction scholar Peter Nichols mm. and noted US American genre author Kate Wilhelm. And of course, Professor Stephen Hawking. More about Kate in a future zero G. But for now, regarding Dr. Stephen William Hawking, who was born on the eighth of January, nineteen forty-two, and died on the fourteenth of January, uh, sorry, of March, 
volumes have already been said about his scientific achievements in theoretical physics and remarkable personal determination in the face of motor neuron disease. We can only echo those thoughts and focus in on how science fiction in general and science fiction pop culture in particular would have been the poorer without the speculative adaptation of his cosmic concepts and, of course, his unique star presence. Star Trek, as one of many science fiction media shows, needed its hawking radiation firewalls in place and multiple universes and space-time shortcuts (laughs) accessible via quantum fluctuations and wormholes. And fans, of course, remember the Next Generation episode, Descent, where Lieutenant Commander Data created a holodeck program where he could play poker with Einstein, Sir Isaac Newton and Stephen Hawking. This was only one of his pop culture space emergences and Hawking's likeness, synthesised voice or actual person appeared across an elemental table of science fiction and other shows, including Futurama, The Simpsons, Mm -hmm. Family Guy, The Big Bang Theory and even the new Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio series where he plays the book Mark II. Um, there are even, you know, and <laughs> I suppose in zero-G uh, law, you can have no... Why am I thinking about law? Because I was talking about data. Oh, goodness. Um, you can have no greater acknowledgement of your pop cultural relevance than having an action figure made of you. Yeah. And there is a Simpsons one of Stephen in his iconic wheelchair with rocket engines and a propeller on the top and a boxing glove <laughs> on a scissor jack. So we go... <laughs> so good. Uh, on the 26th of April in 2007, uh, he actually went up in a Boeing 727-200 jet, which is actually operated by the Zero-G Corporation, and uh, he got to experience weightlessness, or freefall, as we used to call it. <laughs> um, it's just, just amazing that he got to do that. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that was cool. This is Kim Stanley Robinson, author of Red Mars, Green Mars, and Blue Mars, you're listening to Zero G on 3 R. Uh, speaking of actually the space-time continuum, we're watching, we watched a movie on the weekend that um, defies many expectations there. Mm. We've, been, we've been talking about this. We've seen the trailers at the cinema and then suddenly it got bumped over to Netflix instead. There was controversy. People were saying all kinds of things, that it was weird and not your usual science fiction and that's why it had been bumped and everything. It's pretty much my usual science fiction. <laughs> We are, of course, talking about... Annihilation, which is directed by Alex Garland, mm-hmm. he of the, the ex-Machina man. Exactly. Uh, and he actually has an interesting um, CV. Apart from being a screenwriter and film producer and director, he's also a novelist as well. Yes. So we remember his novel The Beach in the film mm-hmm. and um, also uh, the screenplay for 28 Days Later and Sunshine mm-hmm. uh, and Dread. As well, and along with Ex, Ex Machina, which I highly rated when it came out. I thought it was a great science fiction yeah. film. I think it's one of those ones where there were flaws, but it was the sum was definitely greater than the parts. I think all up, that film was quite exceptional and very Kubrick esque. Mm. He also did a film uh, called The Tesseract, which is kind of a follow up hmm. to the uh, the Beach, and nothing to do with Marvel <laughs> comics. And another one called The Coma, and these. Um, these books are kind of very essential in an understanding of Alex Garland's filmmaking as well. Okay. They're 
they they're very postmodernist in the way they're set up, mm. a bit drifty, mm. you know, and deliberately playing against tropes as well. Yeah. So that tells you a bit. He's also into backpacking. Oh well, look, ah, it's all coming together, it is, isn't it? Yeah. And I get the feeling sometimes he's the type. I get from the type of film he makes, he's the kind of person who maybe likes to set his own rules, mm. which is why he's writer, director, producer on a lot of his projects because he doesn't like to be reined in. Well, apparently he went for a hike through St Mark's National Wildlife Refuge and that and the fact that uh, the book itself, yes. Annihilation by Jan Vandermeer, um, sorry, Va- yeah, Vandermeer, that's how you pronounce it. Hmm. Anyway, he, um, this, this film is uh, an adaptation of that. Yes. Uh, I'm actually reading Annihilation at the moment. Um, I found it on... Kindle Amazon, oh. and I actually got the trilogy because it's free yes. books. There's actually a lovely edition, a hardcover edition out from that I've seen that's mm-hmm. quite a really nice um, cover, and they've obviously re-released it. Mm. Um, of just the one book or the trilogy? The collection, yeah. Oh, okay. yep. And on the cover, of course, it has a sticker saying, includes Annihilation, latest <laughs> film, blah. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the plot of this is, I would say... If you're into Tarkovsky, it's Stalker-esque, which means that it's um, also very roadside picnic, which is the original novella that's, that uh, Stalker's based upon. Um, it's a little bit... Uh, oh, H.P. Lovecraft as well springs yeah, to mind. Sure. Yep. Um, and a bit like um, Monsters, mm. the film. Yes, yeah. That, that had that feeling. So basically what I'm talking about here is some kind of zone yep. or area X... Mm-hmm. as it's known in this film. Something has happened there, an event, and it's distorting things. Yeah. Basically is pretty much how it all works. And uh, this much is in the trailer. Yeah. Uh, there is an area known as the Shimmer. Mm-hmm. And if you uh, walk into it, and it's um, near Florida or something like that. Yeah, it's it? in Florida. Florida, yeah. Uh, that uh, you will find yourself under all sorts of strange and possibly malign mm. um, influences. Which we find out as we go into the shimmer because mm. as to that point, no one really knows what happens in the shimmer. No, because what goes in... Doesn't really come out. Come out. So Sort of, maybe. Mm. Mm. <laughs> We're trying not to give too much away because although the film actually is pretty straightforward about it, yeah. uh, they... they Dispatch a certain amount of um, uh, mystery right mm. at the start about what's going to happen to certain characters. Yeah. Or do they? <laughs> I mean, I think this is a film that I really, when I talk to people about it, I don't say too much because I really want to mm. encourage people to watch it. I yeah. think it's something that I want to build a keep building the hype around it because I thought it was incredible. I can't stop thinking about it. I only watched it last night, but I keep thinking about certain scenes and mm. the visuals are just stunning in it. Yes. Um, uh, Rob Hardy's cinematography is, is first rate. It's incredible. This is one of those films where I'm watching it on the screen and I'm thinking, damn, I really wish I'd seen this at the cinema. I do too. I think, I mean, this is no Cloverfield paradox. No. I, I'm this disappointed is a real that they didn't give this a real, like have faith 
faith in this film and mm. and give it a wider release. I have no trouble putting this in. Obviously, Ex Machina is a, is, is is the obvious reference referential point in the tone of science fiction cinema, mm. but Arrival too. Well, this is the thing. I I start to think about what's different in the DNA of those two films. <laughs> And what makes Arrival, and it had that push. I mean, it had names, but this has names. It's got Oscar Isaac, Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Lee. It's got a similar type of pensiveness. It's probably harder to access than most science fiction. Both of them are. So I don't know why one... Well, the, the, the basis reason, you know, the, the actual reason is that uh, it didn't do, do it too well in test screenings. I can't imagine people came out of the arrival test screening going, I fully understood what just happened. But I'm, you know, I mean, look, I, I don't want to unpack a whole can of whoop-ass on, um, <laughs> on, on giant tentpole billion-dollar movies because I love them. <laughs> oh, no, I do too. But what I mean is I think the things that were maybe scared, people were scared off by... Annihilation. Some of those things are in Arrival. And it did yeah. have a much bigger budget, so maybe they felt they couldn't back out and it was paid off. But, but what I mean by the tentpole movies is that they, they sort of do vacuum up a lot of the oxygen sure. and a lot of the space, the actual physical distribution space in cinemas and the screens. Right. And if you've got a lot of those, then you tend to lose some of the other films along the way. And this, yeah, you're right. This is a smaller fish, a, a smaller, more special fish that maybe... Look at look at the glass half full picture. I mean, I guess, <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah, well, the, the the glass half full in this is the uh, the fact that it's got a release at all. True, and it's on Netflix, so it's actually now it's accessible, independent of its opening weekend. Yeah, um, it has time for the buzz to build. It's easy for people to go off if they like what they. The sound of what we talk about, they go watch it yep. quite easily if they've got Netflix already. They could be watching it now. Exactly. <laughs> we could actually be acting as the... <laughs> Providing a director's soundtrack. <laughs> but you're well, right. I think it's there's different pros and cons. I just think it's such an interesting thing that now there's this other way. We've talked about this before, so I won't go into it, mm. of releasing films yeah. via streaming services, which, I don't know, does it make studios a bit easy to give things the chop from the, the cinema release? Well, yeah, because this has happened with um, other films recently too, mm. the Cloverfield Paradox, mm. thing, which actually deserved to... And there are a few others like <laughs> Spectral and things like that I yeah, think yeah. were originally meant to be... So anyway, we digress. I think we should... Get Turn our attention film. back to the film. Yeah, and it's easy to kind of wander off because it's a little bit like that, this it film. It is. It gives um, it time to wander too. As we were saying, we, they, they play against tropes in, in several cases. For a start, the group of people who are going in are all women. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is uh, to the credit of the the, 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 the novelist as well. Mm. Um, when I read that, I'm thinking, oh, yes, because... Other teams have been into this zone, mm. this mm. area X, and not come out. Yeah. And so they're trying all sorts of variations. And they've been military teams prior. Yeah. So this is a These different... are mixed military. Yeah, um, but science will... is largely the, yeah. the yeah. bent of this team. Uh, and, of course, Natalie Portman is playing one of the, uh, the crucial members of the team. She's playing a character called Lena, a biologist, and she's also a former soldier, which helps. Yes, exactly. Uh, we know her from Leon the Professional, Star Wars, Black <laughs> <What>? Swan. <laughs> Need we even? No. Thor? Yes. Yes, she's Jane Thorster there. <laughs> and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, of course, is shining moment. <laughs> Was she in that? I think so, from memory, anyway. Uh, okay, um... Uh, and she's fine in this. She actually looks like she knows what she's doing. Yep. Um, she looks like, like she character. wants to be there, which is... 
I mean, I think, and her character is very much central here. Mm. And she has a very good uh, relationship, um, uh, chemistry, I suppose. Yeah, chemistry is what I'm after. Mm. Maybe not chemistry, maybe it's biology in this case. Uh, with her on-screen husband, Kane, played by Oscar Isaac. Who has chemistry with everyone, though. <laughs> yeah. He, they keep saying he's like the actor of his generation. Mm. Um you know, I've seen Ex Machina. That's yes. where I saw him first. Uh, he's Poe Dameron. Last Jedi. Yeah, Apparently they were filming these simultaneously. So he's really switched between Poe mm. Dameron and this character, which is quite different, let's mm. just say. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, he's um, a, a serving soldier in this in this film. Anyway, uh, there's also... Uh, and I think they work together really well. Yeah. It, it just makes sense. Um, and it actually is kind of a plot driver that they yeah. do have a good relationship. Jennifer Jason Leigh, you know, that, she's been so many things from the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. Um, most recently, what, The Hateful Eight. Yeah, yeah, she's in that. Uh, and I think she actually... She's an important character in this film. She plays a psychologist and she's the actual leader of the expedition. Yeah. And they, she actually gives it just that right inflection. You're not quite sure of her. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think the one thing... You know how they have in a yearbook most likely to betray the group? <laughs> <laughs> I think I felt that way about oh, I her. Do. I do. So, but there's a lot of dread in this movie. Oh, everything is laced with tension. I yeah. feel like... And a lot of the performances are very aloof. They're kind of a little bit sinister. Everything's slightly ominous. Yeah. I found there's just this edge, not in a bad way, but just this very faint sprinkle of like an ominous energy over all the internet and she talks really quietly and Natalie Portman does that little face she does where she's looking all <laughs> you know worried and scared and everything just feels like it's about to just implode and and uh the um the music by uh Jeff uh, Ben Salisbury and Jeff Barrow underlines that always but in that in that arrival kind of way yeah you know, but like, I think I think that there's a really nice use of music here Mm. with the visuals to kind of create this... Yeah, it's one of those films where all the levels are just all mixed so beautifully. Yeah, you can feel the humidity and, mm. I don't know, just that low-key tension. It really got to me and I think that's what stayed with me. Speaking of low-key, uh, Tessa Thompson plays yes. a physicist there. She was Valkyrie in uh, Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a great segue. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> I mean, her character's interesting. I mean, she some of them... Don't get heaps to do. No. I think that's can be a flaw in some of this type of science fiction expedition film. But mm. in this case, it didn't bother me. I just the areas where this was weak really didn't matter to me because I think some of the areas where it was strong were just so strong. Yeah. When yes, yeah, so I think that's a pretty fair statement about how it all played out. Mm. I mean, it is a bit like um, your standard uh, military expedition film where who's going to live and who's going to die. But that's actually not as important in this film. No. Sorry, guys. (laughs) We do like you all. Oh, but but no, no. I never (laughs) felt like for... You know, I think when they really amp it up in something, like what was that crappy alien, the most recent alien? Alien uh, Covenant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Let's not even mention that in the same but breath. They're so it? different. Even though across the the top, you would might say the skeleton of those films are the same. Mm. Just the approach and the time that it was given and the breathing space of this is so different to something like Covenant, where it's just slamming everything into your face and insisting that you care about these characters. This film's just like here they are. They're in this situation. Here's all the pieces. Yeah. Do with it whatever. Yeah, but at the same time, they 
the tension is real. Is they deliver upon it in places? Oh, oh, there's boy, moments. Yeah, there are moments. There in is this film. some hectic business in this film. There's some stuff. It's not for <laughs> it's not for you know young eyeballs. Let's just yeah, say that. Yeah, yeah. There is a creature in this. <sighs> so. Hideous and scary, mm. um, you know. And there's actually uh, one of the, I actually thought one of the weaknesses. There's a, a set in this film. It's a little bit too HR Geiger, you know. Sure. It's just too much, too many. It's too organic looking. It's just maybe that's a deliberate sort of thing. But okay, yeah. Yep. Um, yep. But anyway, um, I have no trouble with the effects in this. Sometimes they are, they are literally monstrous. Yeah. Sometimes they are lyrically disturbing. Yeah. You know. Yes. There's a thinking, particular Ooh. scene that comes to mind. That that I just keep thinking about because it's beautiful and horrifying at the same time. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of elements of that in this, I think. So it just makes me want to keep talking to people about it and I mm. want people to see it so then I can talk about it. But we must maintain radio silence on yes. many aspects of this. I don't definitely don't want to ruin it. No. But I will say, there, there, yeah, there's a couple of scenes that are pretty full on. So, Oh, just a word about the, the look of the film as well. It's so colourful that it actually makes a nice damn change to so many desaturated palettes. Like that alien film. Oh, you know, I'm so sick of blues and darks. and Grey and everything's so dark you can't tell one person from the next. And smoky sets. and you know, I mean, yeah, it all, all got fine in their place, but I thought just for a change it made really, it was really, not exactly pleasant because it's mm. not nearly really a pleasant film. It's kind of, no, but I think, yeah, it was kind of this beautiful, horrific beauty yeah, which makes you which makes you a bit a little bit nervous. Nervous anyway because mm. you're thinking, oh, I don't know about this. It's so wonderful, but oh. <laughs> oh no, like even some of the early beautiful things you're like this is just not a good sign. <laughs> oh, and in, in answer to the old, you know, there's some there's, there's things that they work through in this that just for me, make it a good science fiction film. Mm. They just casually mention, as we were saying before, they've sent teams into this. Yes, they've sent drones. They never came back either. Mm. So, you know, those little things that you the niggle in the back sure. of your head, you're going, why didn't they? Well, they did. They quickly work. knock that off in one conversation. That's true. Yeah. Um, and did you know that um, there's one character, one actor in this who uh, just cracked me up at his presence, and that's Benedict Wong. Benedict Wong, Wong yeah. <laughs> I was about to say. And involved in more strange adventures there's in this There's even one. little details that you notice and then it, it made me kind of look for little clues in yeah. in some of the scenes and I don't know, I feel I, I do feel disappointed in that I think this is a really thought provoking film. Mm. And I just want more people to watch it. Uh, it I, won't be for everyone. I can it gets weird. It gets yes. a bit weird. Yes. And there's some things in there that kind of make you raise an eyebrow. But Overall, I think it's it's up there. It's a lot better than some of the stuff we've seen lately. And, and I'm, I, I don't really want to say that it's... For me, it was actually a fairly straightforward science fiction film. Oh, if you, if I you laid out it. the plot, yeah. it's quite straightforward. Yeah. Don't... I'll tell you what. Not best served... Um, by watching it on a mobile phone, I would say, no. because there's some um, some critical elements in this that you really need to be paying attention for. Yeah, and I'm not saying you can't pay attention on your mobile phone, but there's some really little details that you need to see. Yeah, and you and won't you, be able to see it. You'd be doing yourself a disservice, to be honest, because it, yeah. it's there's some scenes which are quite lovely. Look, do you think he's um, a wannabe Stanley Kubrick, and is that a bad thing? <laughs> 
I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I think he's got elements of, I mean, I think the Tarkovsky thing. Yeah. He's, I think he's a lot more introspective. Mm. I mean, not saying Stanley Kubrick wasn't introspective, but he wasn't really that introspective. Um, but there are, there are obvious elements, the meticulously detailed way the story is laid out, because um, yeah. Alex Garland's a scriptwriter as well for this. Yeah. Um, but, of course, he's adapting yeah. um, Vandermeer's book. Um, but... And it's actually, there are differences between the two, but that's something I actually can't go into because mm. some people will, uh, will read a book and then watch the movie and for them the not, the spoilers would be telling you how it differs. Sure. Yeah. And I do think you should view these as different entities because yeah. from what I understand, he really wanted to do something that was like in the spirit of the book. Their DNA is similar, mm. but their RNA RNA is quite different. Oh. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, Annihilation. I, I just give it a hell yeah rating. Me too. I think it's very much worth watching, thinking about, and then talking about with people who've seen it. Mm-hmm. So, get thee to Netflix. <laughs> I know. Sometimes, look, it's uh, this is the thing. It, these streaming platforms are delivering a lot of genre content, mm. uh, doing a lot of retro content as well. But that was lovely. Like, because I, I watched this last night, I could just sit down, pop it on, didn't mm-hmm. have to go to the movies. Didn't have to shell out 20 odd. Didn't have to. So I guess there's something to be said for creating that experience. But maybe it will reach a broader audience this way. Who knows? Yeah. Well, yeah. I hope so. Because like I said, it it, it blasts past that opening need to have that mega opening weekend. Mm. Um, It's not going to die off the screen in two weeks' time. And maybe everything's a bonus in terms of for the studio, like revenue-wise, I guess, the more high. I don't know. I don't know how it works with Netflix. They seem to have changed the rating system on that. You know how you get – you used to have little stars and stuff. Now it's thumbs up and thumbs down. Well, it's because people were confused because the stars stars weren't like – how well rated it was, it was how closely it matched with what you like. Yeah. And so people were very confused about what that was. So they've changed it to be like match, thumbs up, so people understand exactly what that rating is. It's not how good it is. It mm. was how closely it aligns with what you watch. So that's why they've changed it. Okay. It's the same rating. Hi, I'm Jerry Doyle. I play Security Chief Michael Garibaldi on Babylon 5. Now, listening to Zero G on 3 triple R is number 452 on my list of all-time favorite things to do. Actually, Paul and Rob asked me to say number one, but I've got my principles. You got a problem with that? And we're back with Jessica Jones season two. Woo! <laughs> another, another, another Netflix. Break show. out the bourbon. The bourbon. <laughs> Does she last long? You need a barrel of it. I know. You need a taser. Taser her to get her I, down. I actually, I was thinking of um, trying to play drinking games, <laughs> watching Jessica Jones, and um, the only trouble was every time I went to get a drink, it had been taken by somebody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's a lush series. <laughs> it's the second series of the uh, the Marvel um, comics-based series. Uh-huh. Um, it's still... Uh, Show run, show run, show rand. It's still being show the show runner run is by Melissa Rosenberg, <laughs> who has proven herself with she season has. one. Season yes. one, uh, they've enlisted even more um, female writers for this one and directors and stuff. So they're actually um, trying to make a difference, and, and I think they do. The, the tone in this mm. season, I feel, is a little bit different from the first one. It is, yes. Um, and uh, once again, Kristen Ritter stars as Jessica Jones. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss is back again in her 
in her evil. Oh, I don't know. Actually, I can't I say just, it. Lawyer, lawyer role. I'll just call her a lawyer. Finished yet? But I, I mean, she's a great character, and I love Carrie Ann Moss. I think she's kick ass. Mm. Sometimes I'm just not entirely sure they could like why she's there. <laughs> Sometimes it's clear, but other times because they're paying her, they're finding a way to include it, which I'm fine with. But just yeah. Rachel Taylor is back as uh, Trish Walker. Mm-hmm. Now, it's no secret that um, her Marvel Comics character is Hellcat. Yes. And this season addresses that. Oh, good. Um, and it's not really a – how spoilery, spoilery will I get? Well, I don't – you know, Megan's about halfway through. Yeah, I think I'm on the episode six and I think there's about 12 episodes. Yeah, I've so. watched them all. Um, it's no secret that um, she's becoming Hellcat. That's yeah. just the way these things work. Great. Um, good, good. And I actually think she's a she's a very good uh, foil for Jessica. I think they're a lovely pair. I really do. I think they're so different. But I felt that in the first season and I feel it even more now is that their chemistry is um, a good part of the glue here. But they also have a... Uh, a genuine sibling rivalry, yeah, yeah, going on too. I believe which is it. Very believable. I believe them. Yeah. Um, Eka Darville playing Malcolm, the former addict, yeah. actually becomes much more of the show in this one. I'm glad too. Again, give us more of Malcolm. Malcolm's good. They've incorporated him well. He's very useful, actually. He's. Um, done a lot of uh, home handyman carpentry. I know, they just have an excuse to have him standing around with, like, drill bits and things. Yeah, because Jessica's office slash apartment gets a lot of It's good. It makes sense. He's like Xander of this show, actually, Xander (laughs) Harris. Uh, And we've got a new lady in there. Leah Gibson plays a a homeless person called Inez. Mm. Uh, Seen her before in uh, Watchmen, Caprica, Supernatch and Twilight and so on. Cherry Hogarth is the character's name. Carrie Ann Moss is the place, yes. which means it sounds doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like a lawyer, doesn't it? It's like uh, Hogarth and da da da. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and newcomer Janet McTeer plays uh, Elisa. Um, you know what? I'm looking. Oh, how much can I spoil that? Um, all right, this is a, this is kind of a spoiler. Yeah. So, so Jessica Jones season two spoiler. Uh, Should I not listen? Um, mm, I'm changing my mind as I go. <laughs> she, you she saw is my a, look of she surprise. Is a, she is a major character in this. Uh, excellent actress from um, <laughs> Divergent. <laughs> and uh, the narrator from Maleficent. Uh, but <laughs> that she was great very voice. funny the way you said that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's actually an excellent, fine actress and okay. she really carries... Uh, half of role. the season in this um, story. Mm. Um, she's amazing. Okay. Really, really amazing. Uh, she just uh, And she has uh, incredible chemistry with the characters. I think I'm about to reach some kind of turning point in the season. So I'm halfway yeah, through yeah. and a lot of people have sort of said, you've got to keep watching. Yeah. You've just said that. Bit I reckon I've got to plug on. Bit slow, in, bit slow in the first half. It is, it is a little slow. But what we're actually getting with this season, I feel, is the origin story of Jessica Jones yep. that we didn't get in the first one. But I think that's great, the way yeah. they've done that order. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm a big fan of that. I really like... Uh, stories where they just jump in. Get us hooked first. Yeah. Then backtrack. Then do a Tarantino. 
backtrack track. Yeah, I, um, I think that's a good way to have done this. Mm. We have a lot of other recurring characters which you may not all automatically notice, uh, but these are people from the whole Netflix, like Luke Sweet Cage, of, Daredevil, yeah. um What's that other guy, the guy with the glowing fist, Iron Fist? <laughs> Him, yeah. The Defenders, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, a whole bunch of people. Even Turk shows up once again. <laughs> Can you guess what he would show up to do? He shows up to get someone an off-the-books gun. <laughs> this is Turk. We know how he, he works. And you will have seen um, David Tennant's uh, name in the credits. Yes, that's that's been thrown around. That's not a spoiler. People no, have talked about everyone that. Everyone knows about that. All I can say is um, it's worth waiting for. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he's, look, you know, will Kilgrave be out of his grave? Will he be a flashback? Mm. Will he be... How is that incorporated? How, I am how is curious. It incorporated? Um, it's not particularly cleverly incorporated, but let me tell you this: he's just as goddamn irritating as that's good ever he has been in the in the role. Um, he's a I, I, I describe the Kilgrave character as a real head turner. Mm. In which case, I mean, by which I mean he's the sort of fellow that you'd want to go up and turn his head round on his <laughs> neck. <laughs> Such a good character, though. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, even Foggy Nelson. Yes, saw him. Up. Yeah, so. What's your vibe on this season versus the first? Which is always hard because I know the first seasons have the element of delight and surprise. Yeah. Um, because they've gone so differently on it, there are some things in it here. Uh, it's not that – I don't feel it's quite the, the big mm. that um, – what was it, the, the main theme of the first season? Um, control, gaslighting, mm. abuse – Partly that's still in play with various characters, um, but in this season we are full on into addiction. Yeah, right. To various things, various substances, um, people, um, situations. There's a lot of addiction in this and they mm. thoroughly examine it all the way through. Great. And, you know, that is a science fiction trope. You really have to get into mm. examining it. They get into the, uh, the whole what it is to become a superhero mm. or to be empowered. So that's very, very spot on. I like that. I think that that's something that, if done well, mm. is quite a good addition to. You know, there's like uh, the relationship between um, Trish, Patsy, mm. and her stage mother. Oh. <laughs> it was actually, actually taken up to whole new levels in this season. I'm sure. Um, I am sure. I can see these building blocks already being put in place. So I am keen to... You know, I actually thought, um, back to the addiction thing, I thought that they did a nice little exploration of the dangers of self-medicating with any substance, mm. you know. Um, oh, there's some echoes, of course. They remember occasionally that they're part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, and they just wave <laughs> a bit of something over the top. Yes, like in this case it's a Captain America action figure. Oh, yeah. Uh, and also um, everyone thinks Daredevil is still dead. From the end of oh, the Defenders. Oh, of course. Okay, so, so that's where we are. Yeah, some flow on In terms that. of, okay. Um, they also have some. There is a, a character in this called the Wizard, yeah, <laughs> which everybody just laughs at, especially Jessica in her usual way. I mean, there's some stuff from what I've seen, like some of the voiceover and even some of the detective stuff is a little bit um, cliche. Yeah, we're into the PI, the, yeah. the noir sort of PI. She's um, on the mean streets. There's definite. Or- Veronica Mars 
hints here because it's the voiceover, it's the chick thing, which I get. Like both of them are doing this detective noir vibe. So it's not, it's like a Western. Oh, this Western seems like a Western. But it gave me a lot of Veronica Mars kind of deja vu. Mm. And then even things like Jessica's just like putting things on the wall for the sake of it, like, you know, pinning things up and things. It's like you don't really need to be doing that, but that's the trope we're playing with, so okay. Like circling something when it's the only thing in a photo, like you didn't really need to circle that because it's literally the only thing in that photo. photo. Like, you know. Oh, no, she's just, you know, I can see why. Just for emphasis, I suppose. But just little things like that where I'm like. Uh, I feel the ships. Yes. Ships. Is that oh, the buzzword? I'm already shipping two of the characters, but I won't yeah, say. Yeah, there are there's some there are some ships in this one that uh, that sail and then sink. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> it's Jessica Jones. Uh, but then but then they get um, salvage. I'm pushing this metaphor way too. Hard. Yeah, I'm not sure that's really how you use the ships <laughs> thing, but I like your dedication to it. <laughs> uh, I think there are some moments in this. A lot of the moments are like Jessica's dialogue. Mm. <laughs> you know, somebody said, and this is a, this is actually an exchange earlier on. I think um, one character says uh, it, it's a rival PI mm. who finds that Jessica. He thinks that Jessica's powers are giving her an edge in the in the field, and they are, which they are. Yeah. You know, and he just he wants to re- buy her out. He just says, "I never take no for an answer," something <laughs> like that. And Jessica just looks at him and says, "How very rapey of you." And yeah. Yeah, that's just what Jessica would say. Uh, I'd go back to the um, the weird relationship between uh, Trish and Patsy and her mother, mm. um, the stage mother. There is a moment in the show, and it's a very little thing, it's not really a big spoiler here, where her mum is sitting, they walk in on her, and she's sitting at a bar and drumming her fingernails on the bar, mm. and it's like claws. Mm. Like, you can hear, I can't really do it here, I've got nothing like, to drum I, yeah. on. But yeah, you can hear the little... The, the long, clickies. The clicks of it. And yeah. you're thinking that is so nicely observed. Mm. So there are moments where you look in and the director is clearly setting it all up and making a, it work. A commentary, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this is a great season. It, it is differently toned. It's differently paced. Uh, and I applaud that because I want okay. something different with these shows. Yep. You know, we've not got the Battle of New York rolling overhead no. in this. And this is what I'm here for. Like, I am here for some noir detective hard boozing kick ass chick stuff. Jessica making bad decisions. Exactly. So give me that <laughs> and then see her fixing the bad decisions just that's, to make more bad decisions. That's actually her superpower. She makes the same bad decisions that she makes when she's sober mm. as drunk. <laughs> and she's still so likable that even all yeah. the tortured stuff, you're like, oh, Jessica, just get it together. But you still feel for her. I still actually feel like maybe this season, like they're, they're padding things up a little bit too much. Sure. I think they could do that. what they're doing with about 10 episodes instead of 13. I've got no doubt. I'm already almost halfway through and I reckon you could have trimmed that back to at least only one fewer episodes than what it has been allowed. On the other hand, it's not 24 seasons with 10 episodes of padding like we do on True. network television. Good point, good point. Yep, that dropped uh, last week and um, there it is now. Netflix, Netflix. Jessica Jones, season two. Yeah. Okay, so that's uh, about it for Zero G for today. And uh, Joe Brenetic coming up next with Astral Glamour. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Megan. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.